This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome to 51 First Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And we are doing an experiment. And talking about dating. And love. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, everybody. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And this is 51 First Dates, a dating podcast with all of the slogans, <laughs> all of the polished intros. Slogans, all kinds of stuff. We definitely know what we're about. Um, it's dating. <laughs> we're psyched to be here today, psyched to have another awesome guest. We're going to be interviewing Thais Gibson. She's an author and the founder of Personal Development School. She's mental health expert and um, very knowledgeable about relationships and especially attachment styles, which is what we're going to be talking about with her in a little bit. Yes. Um, very but before we get stuff. there, yeah, psyched it. She's super smart. I She was fully one of those people who, after we talked, I was like, I'm going to change my whole life. And <laughs> I have been doing some of the stuff we talked about. We interviewed her a couple weeks ago. I'm just saying that because there may be like some, you know, topical stuff that is not as relevant in uh the week we're in um but uh yeah but she's the interview's really great it's gonna make you feel really empowered she's very about like practical approaches to um changing your mindset the way you see yourself um building self-confidence and it all feels very like doable to me like there were lots of things that I have started to kind of try to do since we talked to her and I yeah I'm really excited for you guys to listen Yes, she is wonderful. You are all wonderful. Thank you for being here. And if you're new, welcome. We will be, you know, hopefully getting back to some normal dater stories um, as dating goes back to normal, maybe. I mean, there's news about a vaccine now, so we're getting somewhere. Uh, but Someday soon. <laughs> in the meantime, we will bring you amazing guests. Definitely reach out to us if you're interested in being our next dater. We are, you know, just sorting out how all that works. We're aiming for 2021. We're also just here living, continuing to distract you as, you know, the COVID situation is not getting any better right now. And so we'll we'll share our content consumption today. Uh, and, you know, I think share some gratitude for all of you. We are not a gratitude podcast, but I do feel very grateful. A lot of you reached out when we posted, you know, we're not a political podcast either, but we posted a lot about activism and making calls and phone banking for this really important election. And a lot of you reached out saying you had or you've donated. And so shout out. We have a new president, um, new president elect. He's going to be in office January 20th. And don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. So yeah, although stay vigilant, friends. Yeah, we're not, we're not totally done yet, but we're, we're, not, we're feeling not. much better than we were a week ago. Yeah, um, I just had a spiral to Liza before we logged on, but I was not going to put that on you guys because I could wake up tomorrow and it could be you know better or Same. worse or who knows but we are we're going to be your distraction today we have a nice meaty juicy conversation that you will enjoy hot and meaty also <laughs> thank you for rate subscribing reviewing 
Thank you for um, reaching out to us. You can find us at 51 first, 51 first dates pod on Instagram. You can email us at 51 first dates pod at gmail.com. Send us your worst first date stories. Send us your funny dating stories. We like to read them on the podcast. Just like have fun laughing about dating together. Um, and join our secret Facebook group. Yeah. All the business. It's a great fun place on the internet. Everyone's really nice and we like it. Yeah, one of the good, I, I feel like there's been this like crazy, like secret Facebook groups. We love ours. It's so healthy. But I also feel like in the news, there's been a lot of like, we have to take down these very scary, like, you know, militia secret Facebook groups. So I'm like, we have a nice one. It's a safe space. Yeah, ours is just like <laughs> mellow, hanging out, talking about dating, being nice to each other. So please join it. Um, Kimmy and I both really love it there. It's also a great way to like interact with us if you want to talk with us. Uh, if you want our advice on stuff, you can always tag us in posts there and, and you know, we'll see them right away. Um, and our, my la- our last piece of business, uh, this oh, yes. is also a bridge into Consumption Corner. Please check out our Patreon um, where we are doing Bachelorette recaps weekly. And it's quite a season. <laughs> Anyone watching? I mean, like, thank God it exists right now. It's been the only thing keeping me sane in the last couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, it's a crazy season. There's so much going on. Kimmy and I are loving talking about it on the Patreon. They're quick episodes, half an hour-ish, and you can get access to them at any level of membership. So even if you pay like a, a dollar or a couple dollars a month. Um, and I love talking. We love talking about The Bachelorette, but we also decided to spare our listeners who were not Bachelorette viewers on the regular podcast. Uh, can I do a little pitch for people who aren't regular Bachelorette? bachelorette viewers not even to listen to yes. our podcast but just to get involved and and then like maybe think about it in the context of relationships so one yes we are all content starved but I do feel like so there's this switch over this is totally it wasn't ever really a spoiler but there are two bachelorettes the the bachelorette who just left I feel like some people are frustrated with and I I really feel like I felt frustration in her because of some of the the ideas she has about getting engaged and being in relationships and I think there's like a backlash to those old school ideas she has from the internet and some of it is too mean for sure like everyone's allowed to do relationships how they want but I think it's an interesting especially because I think Taisha, the new bachelorette will see things differently it's an interesting watch to think about if you're trying to reset how you look at engagements or marriage or relationships and your worth um because yeah, I don't know. I just, I felt like, oh, I'm very glad I've never rushed into anything. And I don't even know what happens with the happy couple. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. I feel like there's a lot of, it's 2020 and like there are some old school things happening with one of the Bachelorette's takes on relationships. So it's interesting yes. to watch. Fully. And uh, it's interesting to break down while trying to also still be like, you know, we always try to be nice and not too um, harsh on these people because they are people, etc. <laughs> Although we fail, we have failed a couple times. So I've already, we've already in our patron episodes. I've already issued an apol- a formal apology. Wow, well, we'll uh, yeah, we really fucked up. But that's the thing; it's in Patreon. It's on Patreon. We get to be a little looser. We get to be a little crueler. No, 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 no. <laughs> we get to be a little bit honest about how we feel about Claire, which is complex. Um, but please do go check it out. All of that stuff is linked below. Whenever I talk about stuff being linked below, I feel like the most legit ass podcaster. It's funny mm, we're not. Mm, mm, we're not. <laughs> like, see the see link in bio. Um, no. But uh, please check all that out. 
And speaking of which, um, what else other than Batch, what are you consuming this week? That's a great question. So I feel like my my consumption diet this week was mainly CNN, which was an odd experience because I don't watch cable news ever. And it was on constantly. I did a very bad job like turning it off. Like if I watched something else, I would then just go on Twitter. So that's been interesting. Like shout out to all those hardworking people on all of the news channels though. And like a lot of them are hot and Abby Phillip is like my dream. I want to be her. Um, She's amazing. But other than that, let me think. I, I don't have anything new and fresh that I want to recommend, but I have continued to watch The Undoing on HBO with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant and Ismael, who we know, Liza, and he's lovely and wonderful. And it is, I don't, it's not perfect, but it is, it's the same guy who did Big Little Lies. It is, there's murder, there's intrigue, it's intense. It is, it sucks me out of this world. I will say that. Mm. So it's also just like very much like the visuals look like the night of in terms of New York, like dark HBO, Mm. well-crafted shots. It just, I don't know. Nicole Kidman is just an incredible actress as well. So I would, I would recommend that. And I, I love an expensive show set in New York, too. Like I, yeah. I, Jeff's watching. Jeff has never watched Succession, which is he's always about a year mm. behind everyone else's t- content consumption. But he's watching it right now. And so I'm like in and out while he's watching it. And I just love when they whenever there's a glossy show set in New York, I'm like, damn, this is a this city is a gorgeous ass set. It's just it's like it looks so good. Oh, yeah. Succession. I may even rewatch. Uh, I think they're getting ready to shoot third season, which is very exciting. I feel like I saw that on something, Ooh. but it could have been fake news. But I think they are. If you have not seen Succession, that's what you should be watching on HBO. Like, it's just so well done. I feel like. They're, I don't know. You tell me, Liza. Is Jeff having some pleasure? Like, it's loosely based on, like, the Murdoch family and owning, yeah. you know, all of the news. And yes. there must be something kind of satisfying right now. Even though I'm – sorry. I'm so pissed I can't just be, like, cheering and jumping for joy right now. Fuck this. Like, why am I still scared? We, we elected a new president. But anyway, I feel like there's got to be some satisfaction in kind of watching this – family and media and and totally. sort of politics and yeah yeah well we were both talking we were like oh my god I feel like this does also like this family does also have slightly Trumpy vibes where mm-hmm. the family becomes the business and the business and the family you don't know where the lines are and like I think Kendall is very Don Jr. I think he there's like a lot of parallels there and um it's been really interesting to watch this week I was also kind of like why are you watching it this week like I it's stressful it's just it's like a show with like several really stressful plot lines but also it's very funny so it it, like it's easier to get through because it's hilarious but um that's been a background consumption corner for me this week but then I also started watching speaking of glossy shows set in New York I'm tell me if I've already talked about this I am on a ferocious rewatch of Gossip Girl oh no I don't think so but Liza (laughs) dude it's such high level trash I'm so obsessed with it it's so bad. You could like, I didn't have mentioned it, but the reason okay. I'm not sure is because the night, Tuesday night, election night, I was being a dramatic liberal and fucking crying and like thinking things were bad. I was very wine drunk. I turned on the first ever episode of Gossip Girl Dude. to go to bed. <laughs> so okay. I'm I with think you. That the, I think the Netflix algorithm is yes. bumping it because Nick, what my best friend, also 
told me that he just started rewatching, like independently of me. He's in like season four or something, and he's been just like crushing them. But I, I think that Netflix is like pushing it. Um, mm. But I am tearing through it. And it's because I watched it when it was first on TV. And I thought it was like, I knew it wasn't great then, but I just, I realized how young I was when it was first on. And because I'm like, oh my God, this is okay. I thought Blake Lively was like everything. And look, she is. She's a beautiful, sweet, amazing angel. But she was like a teenager when the show came out. And the acting is just really bad. Yeah. <laughs> and the drama is so over the top. And I and everyone is beautiful. And the clothes are like also so over the top. But also just everything. And it's, again, shot in New York. Like it just reminds me of a simpler time when you could go out and do stuff in New York. Similar to like stuff we were talking about in our Sex in the City rewatch. Or Emily um, in Paris, you know, like fully. crap in a city with it's glossiness. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like a beautiful city, beautiful people. Like it's just, I am so obsessed. And it's uh, it's bringing me back to a simpler time in my life when I was like, I think it came out when I was like a freshman in college or something like that. Uh, it's been a great rewatch. And I haven't watched anything other than that and the news and PBS news hour. <laughs> <laughs> which big shout out to the PBS people because this is always why I watch PBS News Hour. They keep it so mellow. Even mm. on election night they were like, "Okay, like this is what's happening." Like it just it does it for me. There's not so many there's not like tickers and all. There's like less information on the screen. It just I was back and forthing, but something about it makes me feel um calm inside. Yeah, I should have gone with that energy I just okay so this is like so unrelated to dating or anything except that there we (laughs) let me know who your like election reporter zaddy was because Mm. I feel like everyone had a crush I certainly did uh but I I don't know there was something as painful as it was to be watching this shit and even if the outcome was terrible I kind and I hate how Sorry, our, even if the outcome ended up the other way or whatever, and it was so drawn on, it was difficult. There was something I really craved in like the community watch, kind of like The Bachelor, where people were talking about different news anchors and the news anchors are working so hard or like, mm-hmm. I don't know, there was something. I, it's totally. so weird, but I felt like part of something again. And then I felt part of something again when people were cheering in my neighborhood in Los Angeles on Saturday. And I don't know, I, I really... Don't know what the point of that is, but I really I don't ever want viewing like normal cable linear TV channels to go away. I want to still have collective viewing where we're watching the same things at the same time, which still happens like on Netflix a little bit, but it's not quite the same as watching something live. And that's what I like about The Bachelorette, too, I will say. okay, fully full sidebar. I mean, Bachelorette, the Bachelor franchise is sports for is sports. I, there are some sports I like too. I don't want to be so whatever gender normative, but it's it's a similar thing. You get a similar vibe. You get to watch something at the same time as your friends, talk to them, like interact with them, have your favorites, have your picks. But no, I felt the exact same way. I was also loving. I, I as much as this past week was stressful, I was loving. There was great memes. There was yep. great comedy. There was great people were being really funny, really creative, really smart. And I really loved that. I I was just looking at Nevada memes all day, every day. It was the, the it was such good memes, uh, such good online content. Um, People are fucking funny. Like I can't do it. You if you so follow funny. us on IG, 
IG. I'm trying to be a Gen Z. <laughs> but you will see, I, I try and fail so often to not make memes, but just like make funnies. And then people just can churn them out the second after something happens, like Nevada. <laughs> it's like, I mean, they got Hilarious. a little old at a point, but there were they were keeping me going well beyond the point that joke should have lasted. I was like, oh, shit. For sure. I was like, Nevada's not I even s- the problem anymore, guys. We're waiting on Pennsylvania. But OK, OK, that's funny. <laughs> All of it. it. It was so, yeah, so much, so much good stuff. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a big part of my consumption this week was just memes <laughs> everywhere. Um, maybe we should, um, maybe I should continue the Gossip Girl journey and we should do some Gossip Girl Patreons too. Only because yeah. there's so many little like relationships. Not to pressure you to watch more. Fully crap oh my god i'm gonna watch all of gossip girl like the other thing is i stopped watching gossip girl i think i stopped watching in the middle of in the middle or the end of season two so i haven't seen there's six seasons and there's 25 episodes a season and they're 45 minute episodes so it's so much content and i stopped watching after season two so i'm kind of psyched like i'm in this for the long haul i think who knows sometimes i my add kicks in and i fall off but I really love when I'm just sitting with a long trail of content stretching ahead of me. That always gives me a lot of joy. No, it's a great feeling. And I'm nearing the end of um, Real Housewives of Potomac. So I'm Mm. officially having to watch like the latest season that is still airing. And I'm like, wait, what did I do? The fifth season, mind you. (laughs) Like I blew through that. Oh, my God. So it's the worst when your show is coming, like the show that's been getting you through. I I mean, always, but especially in quarantine, especially in tricky political stress times when the show that's getting you through is winding down that feeling is just like uh i know i know well now i have gossip girl thanks liza shout out to you enjoy xoxo <laughs> i know i the, the rewatch knowing who gossip girl is is gonna be interesting but hello i know i never even got to the end but i know because just of life um i think and, same and yeah and watching it i'm like Oh, you know also why? They talk about it in Emily in Paris. Oh, in yes. In Emily in Paris, there's a joke that's like, oh, like that French guy who the designer is like, I get to the end just to find out that so-and-so is Gossip Girl. I said so-and-so just in case um, anyone you doesn't are? know. That is true. Okay, Liza just showed her compassion and her her manners to the extreme. This show that came out in the, the mid-2006 or something. That was impressive. You're not going to spoil anything. I, no, I live with the biggest spoiler. He's like the spoiler police in a way that is so annoying. Like shows I know he'll never watch or whatever. Or a tiny plot line. The other day I told him that the guy who plays Tom on Succession is British. And he was like, why did you tell me that? I was like, it's not about the show. The actor is British. That a- that is a British actor. Like they're all British. <laughs> like, he's I, so like every he show. Just, <laughs> I, he just wants to live in the world of the show, and if he whatever. So that's, that's my spoiler funny. phobia. Um, um, no, no, no. I genuinely think that's kind, especially if we do like a Patreon watch. Um, well, well, we will see you all next week. Enjoy this conversation. Attachment styles are super interesting. I think like of all the tools quote unquote out there and I know I tried to articulate this in our interview with Thais as well and I it's hard for me to explain they're not tools but all these different stories were fed and are told to work with I actually think attachment styles is something that when I learned about I understood myself in a very different way the first time I like Mm. understood my anxiety my anxious attachment Mm. Mm. I don't know I feel like it's actually it's yeah 
with all it's the super tropes. interesting yeah it gives you a lot to think about and Thais is like the perfect person to explain it she this is such a big part of what she does um so yeah we really hope you enjoy our interview with her we're going to take a really quick ad break and then we will be back this show is supported by state farm insurance is a part of any solid financial plan making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry it's important to protect not only your business but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Great. So, Thais, thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to talk to you about all things, especially attachment. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very excited to be here with you guys. Um, we were just talking about how you are, you know, in Canada where things are still, you know, not great, but better than where we are at. So we were just expressing our envy. Um, but... So to kind of just jump in and for listeners who aren't familiar with you or your work, we, we love to start asking a very cheesy question about what is your relationship to relationships? So history with relationships, like your own personal dating experiences, even the way you were raised to think about relationships. Yeah, I mean, like, if I go really deep, like, my original relationship to relationships was not good. Um, probably part of the reason I'm doing the work that I'm doing. But I mean, like, early, like, teenage years, maybe to, like, 21, 22 years old. Um, definitely came from, like, a lot of chaos in my, my parents' relationship. Um, and so saw a lot of, like, broken trust and a lot of, like, you know, kind of scary things and challenging moments. And so I think I kind of, like, as a human took that and like reprojected that back out onto my external world. Um, and then went through a lot of really interesting relationship dynamics, um, very young. And I think that's kind of what led me to attachment theory It's like, okay, why am I showing up in relationships where I can't trust? And it's so difficult. And I like, don't want people to get too close, but I really want connection at the same time. And having a lot of like challenge in relationships and then, um, you know, started doing a lot of work on myself as a human being started, you know, really opening up and, and trying to practice vulnerability and doing a lot of subconscious reprogramming and then learning about attachment theory. Um, and now I love relationships and I've been in a, a really healthy relationship for the better part of a decade and um, really happy with that and have amazing relationships around me with like friends and family and pretty much everything. So that's yeah. my relationship to relationships. Thank you for That's indulging. That's so cool. <laughs> That's so like inspirational. I feel like so many people, and we'll get into this uh, today, but so many people really struggle to change change their relationship to relationships. Like it, it can be really hard to shed those like early year programmings and the the rom com Disney nonsense that we all kind of like uh, absorb and all of the. All of the uh, lies we're taught. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's almost just like, as you mentioned, Thais, the, the first having the awareness that those experiences impacted you. Did you have particular work you were doing or do you, 
you know, maybe you can share a little more about when you realized, you know, these these relationships from your childhood and early years as a young adult um, really were actually impacting you. Yeah, I mean, my story is really unique in the sense that um, my actual like start to my healing journey is because I got addicted to painkillers when I was 14. Mm. Um, So I like had definitely a lot of what we would call childhood traumas. Like if you had to check some off a trauma list, I probably had a good vast majority of them. And, um, and so I actually like started my personal journey, like trying to figure out how to be sober in the world. Um, And at around like 2021, I really started taking it seriously. Um, having a lot of things not work for me and then being like, somebody came to me and I was like fairly high functioning. So I was like still in, in university at the time. And I had somebody in one of my classes say to me, um, it just really in passing, like, oh, your conscious mind can't outwill or overpower your subconscious mind. And for anybody who's ever gone through addiction, like the amount of like, especially myself, cause I really wanted to get sober, but the amount of like every single day, you're like, this is the last time, this is the last time. And then you like always lose this battle to yourself. And so when somebody said to me like, oh, your conscious mind can't outwill or overpower your subconscious mind. I was like, oh my God, like, this is what you're telling me about my, like, this is this battle I'm fighting in myself. Like every day I'm like, I'm going to be different. And then I keep repeating the same thing. It's like my conscious versus my subconscious. So that was like this like fire for me. And then I started really doing like a lot of work on like CBT and subconscious reprogramming and hypnosis. And and so finished school and then did like 13 certifications and all these things. Um, and it like really healed me and it was like unbelievable. And then, um, and then I didn't actually learn about attachment theory until a little bit later into my journey, but I'd already done so much subconscious reprogramming work on so many things that there were just less things to work out by the time I was at that place. Um, so I think that like when somebody's going through a dynamic or a challenge and they're like trying to work on stuff so much of of how we change, how we show up in our relationship to relationships is literally like, do you know what your programs are? Like, what are your stories about like men, women, romantic relationships, commitment, marriage? Like what are your internal ideas and beliefs about all these things? And if we can start like seeing them, that's a really important first step. Yeah. So, well, no, I, I mean, your journey is really amazing and I'm you know especially addiction is something I have not struggled with but I know how hard it is to overcome and the fact that you were 14 when you know you first were were became an addict or started you know using pills is just I'm just I'm very impressed with how you turned that into honestly this amazing career it's like a full that's that's like the dream story you hear about you know and I know it was probably beyond any kind of words I can use to describe in terms of how challenging it was. But um, thank you for sharing that with us. And curious, you know, when you decided to, I know you, you know, studied and, but when you decided to kind of launch your courses, launch your school and really turn this into kind of a path to help others? Yeah. um, So it sort of started by accident. I, I like was in a position where I like really wanted to share and I was still finishing um, my master's program and I like put a meetup online and I was like, I'm just gonna give a free workshop and share stuff. Cause this has helped me so much. And honestly, I just like wanted to share things with anybody who would listen. Like I was like, I have things that are working and it's crazy. And like, you know, cause I, I did the whole like traditional, 
and and not that this doesn't work for everybody, but I did a lot of the traditional like AA, NA, rehab, all that stuff. And like, that wasn't working until I learned about the subconscious. And then I learned like, oh my gosh, it's so disempowering to be teaching people just how to try to change at the conscious level. And so, you know, um, I was like, I'm going to put this workshop together. And then I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. That's so scary. And I went to cancel it and it was on like a meetup group. And I guess like, if you don't launch a meetup within 72 hours, it launches itself. And so all these people had like signed up and paid. And I was like, oh no, now I have to give this workshop. And so I was really young when it sort of started. And, um, and I had all these people come to this workshop. It was, it was, there were only like 20 seats. It was in the classroom. And, but at the end, like, I think it was like 18 of the people were like, oh, do you have a practice? Like, do you see clients? Mm -hmm. And so like, I just started like my practice started by accident. And then I just did a lot of public speaking and a lot of that kind of stuff. And then I got to a point where I was like, I had a two year wait list for clients and my friend was, and I was working way too much. And my friend was like, you're like not scaling your business. Like this isn't like a smart thing. You're not helping people because you're putting them on these two year wait lists. Like you're not helping yourself because you're working way too much. And like, you need to put this online and put them into programs. And so then he became my business partner and we started this online personal development school. And so it was born out of like a lot of these classes I was running and like public speaking events I was doing. Um, but it sort of like kind of came together and, and that has been a much more useful way to, to spend my time and share these things. So, yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. It's it's amazing um yeah that you were able to figure out a way to like scale your business, help help other help more people, help yourself. That's uh that alone is like um <laughs> inspirational in uh in modern day like overworking era. I mean, obviously you're still working your ass off all the time. But <laughs> that's really really cool. Um and tell us a little bit. So, so you do a lot with personal development school. We're gonna we're gonna get into attachment theory, but um, what are like some of the most common issues you deal with? The most common um, pieces of uh, advice. I don't want to say pieces of advice. That's I know that's not what it is. But what are the things you find yourself kind of constantly um, putting out there in your in your in your classes, in your programs? Yeah, it's a really great question. I would say the the biggest things, like I love to work with people at the belief level, at the subconscious level, because we all go through life and we have this like whole filter that we see the world through. And a lot of people don't know what that filter is made up of. So like the example often gives to people is you can take like Tom and Bob and they can go into like this same room and maybe they, they think they're going to like some workshop and they end up in, instead in like a women's group and they like open the door to the women's group and they both see like just a room full of women. And if Tom grew up and he had like a whole bunch of positive experiences with women and he felt like close to his mom and his sisters and had good, healthy, romantic relationships. And if Bob had like his mom left and he was in pain and, and there were a lot of challenges with his sisters or whatever it is, they both go into the same exact reality and they open the door and they have a totally different emotional experience. And it's because like, it doesn't matter that we're in the same reality. We all see our reality now through a filter of our past. And what that's actually made up of is our beliefs and our stories that we have about different people and how the world works and especially about ourselves around people. And like, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or, you know, I'm unworthy or unlovable or disliked or I'll be rejected or, you know, and if we don't know that stuff, we just project that all the time onto our external reality. And then all of a sudden we're just stuck 
reliving the same patterns because we're actually co-creating them at a, at a subconscious level. So like a lot of work on like people understanding when they're triggered or upset, like what's the meaning you're giving to situations because that meaning is your meaning from your filter and how can we reprogram what's not serving you or limiting you. And then a lot to do with people like understanding their needs. It's like shocking to me how many people are like, I have no idea what my needs are. And if you don't know your needs, how are you going to get your needs met in relationships? How are you going to get your needs met in your life? And so a lot to do with like needs, speaking up, communication, boundaries, all these sorts of things. And, and I would say those are really fundamental parts of healing. So I love what you said about the, the, your background is the filter on your reality. I am totally messing it up. But the stories, we talk a lot about the stories we tell ourselves in relationships. And I think that's where attachment theory does get really interesting because, and I feel like I was just telling Liza earlier, I feel rusty at attachment theory. I remember taking, figuring out what I was and looking at what I kind of thought I wanted to be in a relationship for us, for listeners who are less familiar, do you mind kind of, you can share what first got you, you know, interested in attachment theory, but also just kind of the basics of attachment theory and what, what it is as a tool. Yeah, definitely. So, so uh, what I'll do is I'll go through like the four different attachment styles mm -hmm. and the, the way I like to describe attachment there, if somebody like hasn't heard of it is you can imagine, so we all have an attachment style and it develops in early childhood. And it's basically the programmed way that we learn to relate to our caregivers. And the, the work was originally done by John Bowlby, but there's a lot more that's been built on it ever since. And um, you can sort of compare like having a different attachment style to like you and I sitting and playing a board game and having like a different rule book. And so we're like trying to play this game and like we have a different set of rules and we're going to have miscommunications and misunderstandings and unmet needs and like a lot of frustration probably unnecessarily. And so there are four different attachment styles. One is secure. And people who are secure usually grow up in a household where like as a child, their needs are heard, their feelings are held space for a, a lot of their parents will, you know, be consistent, show up consistently with like meeting their needs. Um, and, and so this child feels like they're just worthy of love for who they are because they literally just get love without having to like earn it or get approval or all these different things. So they feel like, okay, my needs are worthy of being met. My feelings are worthy of being seen, heard, expressed. I'm a self-confident person. I trust people and I trust human relationships and interactions. And so they grow up in their adult lives to obviously have more positive experiences and, and higher self-esteem as a general starting point. And that's sort of where everybody's trying to get if they have an insecure attachment style. That's like what we're trying to get to. I'm now like, oh yeah, that was the one I wanted to be, but I didn't feel like I was when I took <laughs> Exactly. And then we have like our three insecure attachment styles. And so you can sort of think of them on like a continuum. And at one end of the continuum, there's the dismissive avoidant. And the dismissive avoidant usually grows up with some kind of emotional neglect. Mm. And this can be like actual severe emotional neglect where like they're also physically neglected or it can be like fly under the radar emotional neglect where like their needs are met and like they have food on the table and everything like that. But the parents just aren't emotionally available and they're not attuned to the child and they're like, oh, children should be seen and not heard. Or like, oh, like, you know, strong men don't cry, like don't express your emotions. And so this child who needs emotional nurturing, because we all do, basically grows up and looks at the, the their lives and, and feels like, okay, I really want connection. I'm like dying for this emotional connection and bond for my caregivers. 
I'm not getting it. And the child mind can't go, oh, my parents are emotionally unavailable. So instead the child mind goes, oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm defective. And so this individual usually carries a lot of subconsciously stored shame. They feel like vulnerability is a really unsafe thing. Vulnerability only ever gets rejected. Closeness doesn't feel good or safe. And then they feel like trapped and helpless because they're in relationships all the time that are really disempowering. And so this person grows up in their adult life to be like, I'm not opening up. I'm not getting close. And these are the people that we see that fear commitment, that push people away, that make excuses for avoiding closeness, that don't want to be vulnerable. And often they have a lot of stored subconscious shame in their interpersonal relationships, which means that like they often have this concept or idea that's like, oh, if you get too close to me, you're going to see who I really am and you're going to see that I'm shameful and I can't let you see that. So I, cause shame is the emotion that makes us want to hide. Mm -hmm. So they'll do a lot of like pushing away, hiding, not getting close, sabotaging relationships, things like that. So that's like one end of the continuum. And like on the exact polar opposite end, we see our anxious preoccupied individual. And this person usually grows up in a household where like they've got a lot of closeness from caregivers and attunement. So closeness feels good. And the subconscious mind programs a lot of positive emotional associations to closeness, but there's some kind of inconsistency. So it could be that like one caregiver is warm and the other is cold, or both caregivers are really loving, but they work a lot, or they're both really loving, but then some kind of trauma happens and they're depressed and they kind of withdraw. And so basically this child is like, oh my gosh, I love closeness. I want to, to soothe through other people and connect through other people. But I experienced some kind of perceived abandonment and then I totally fear that my whole life. And so this person grows up in their adult lives to like have huge core wounds around, I will be abandoned, I'll be rejected, I'll be disliked, I'm not good enough, I'll be alone, all these kinds of things. And they, these are often the people that we'll see that appear in their adult romantic relationships as like clingy or needy or like wanting to move too fast with things and often they accidentally push people away through doing that. Hmm. And then our very last attachment style is right in the middle. And this is the fearful avoidant. And they're sometimes called the anxious avoidant because they have like the anxious and the avoidant side as, as their attachment style. And this attachment style is usually characterized as somebody in childhood who goes through some kind of trauma. And everybody goes through some form of trauma, but like more severe trauma. And basically they learn that I love and I want closeness, but I can't trust closeness. And this could be because like a caregiver or caregivers are alcoholics and it's like, I love mom, but I, I, is she drunk? Is she sober? Is she going to be mean? Is she going to be, and there's no like attachment strategy. There's no consistency. And it could also be that parents are like really fighting a lot or have a severe divorce or like whatever it might be. And so basically they have that anxious side where they fear abandonment. They want closeness. They can have some like neediness or clinginess, but they also have the dismissive side where they're like, no, 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 closeness like doesn't feel good and I need space and I can't trust it. So I don't like it. And so these are the people in their adult lives who are like, come here, come here. And they like get close and they're like, no, go away, go away. And they give like a lot of that like hot, cold, mixed signals. Like, and it can be really confusing for people on the outside, but it's so interesting for the person on the inside of that experience because it's like they want love and they can't trust it at the same time. So they're constantly in this like push pull of ambivalence about relationships. And it makes things really, really confusing for that person as well. So those are our attachments. Thank you. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, it's so interesting. And it's so, I feel like it's so related to everything. I mean, the you know, obviously the way you relate to other people means so much uh, in the how you do at work, how you do in your family and your friendships and your everything. But can you tell us a little bit about like how, how your attachment 
type impacts your dating life and how how knowing your attachment type like how we can use that to improve dating 100 okay so there's Dr. Susan Campbell has work and she talks about the five stages of a relationship and she talks about like the honeymoon phase, the power struggle phase, the stability phase, commitment and bliss phase. But one thing that I've built a lot of work on is like separating that out, using modeling after that, but then being like, but we have a dating phase of a relationship that's absolutely distinctively different from our honeymoon phase. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's like been on a lot of dates and done a lot of dating knows like, okay, you don't just like jump into a honeymoon phase of a relationship. So in our dating phase of a relationship, what's so interesting and how attachment theory like really interacts there is like people have totally different, like that rule book we're talking about, they have different rules for how they expect the dating phase of a relationship to go. So like you might see your anxious, preoccupied person who's like, if we have a great first date, like I could be in a relationship next week, like this could be the person. And then we have a dismissive avoidant person who's like, um, yeah, the dating phase of a relationship should last for about six months. I should be vetting somebody on average, the dismissive woman wants to spend six months of just like getting to know somebody before they make any commitment and then enter into the honeymoon phase. And then fearful avoidance will often show up so well in the, the dating phase of a relationship because they'll be like, their biggest wound is trust being broken. And so if there's no commitment, there's no trust to break. So you might see this like charming, charismatic, like not so push, pull, hot, cold person, or just like little tiny hints of it, at least in the dating phase. And then as soon as there's a commitment and they move into the honeymoon phase and it's like, oh, we're going to be, we're going to focus on each other in a relationship and have some kind of exclusivity or whatever. Then all of a sudden you get the person who's like, oh no, like now I don't trust you. And now all these things come alive. So people have completely different expectations for how quickly a relationship should move or how things should progress because of their attachment style. They have different needs in the different um, phases of a relationship. So like dismissible avoidance are looking for people who are safe, who, um, you know, are light and not too serious, too fast. And, you know, where there's harmony and they can talk about surface things and they get along and there isn't a lot of fighting. And then you have like fearful avoidance who like want depth and they want like emotional intensity. And then you have anxious preoccupied who just want like a lot of closeness all the time. And so like everybody goes in with these different ideas of like what the dating phase should look like, what the needs are, what they desire to be able to progress into the future phases of relationships. And when we don't know that about ourselves or other people, it's like extremely confusing for a lot of people out there. Yeah. On that note of it being confusing in dating, I'm just thinking, let's say someone, you know, works with you or is just very attuned to what their attachment style is and they're on a date. It's not, I mean, for some people it might be a first date question, but how do you kind of suss out what the person you're dating, what their attachment style might be, maybe over time? So you can kind of be like, ooh, we are not a match. Not that I think you need to decide that only based on attachment styles, but maybe, yeah. How do you kind of feel that out? And are there like big red flags where you're like, nope, our attachment styles will never work? Or is it more of just a tool to like learn about yourself? Great question. Okay. So, so dismissive avoidance in the dating phase of the relationship, some of the things that you'll see about them is that they are like charming and charismatic, but they'll have like some kind of surfaceness to them. So they can either be like a little bit slow to warm up and you'll feel that distance, or you'll notice things like, They'll talk a lot about stories, but they don't talk about like their feelings around the stories. They're not like, yeah, this happened to me and this is how I felt. 
they'll talk a lot about like their thoughts or their opinions, or they'll try to stay at like the intellectual level and not really go to that like emotional level. Mm-hmm. And when they get asked personal questions, sometimes they'll like deflect or try to stay private or, you know, create these like distancing strategies to, to keep space between you and, and their personal internal life and reality. So like, those are a lot of the things, a lot of people will describe dating and dismissive avoidance as being, um, you know, like you want to connect with somebody and you feel like you're connecting on one level, but you just keep hitting a wall. Um, and so those are some things you'll see and date and dismiss avoidance often like won't want to introduce people to their family or friends very early. Um, they won't want to have people over to their home sometimes for a little while. Like I've heard stories of very dismissive avoidant people who have been dating somebody for three years and like never let them to their house and like we'll let them come outside the house but never inside the house and like just yeah they can be in extremes like not everybody's (laughs) like that but but there can be very extreme versions and like really protective of like space and time with themselves um and and dismissive avoidance as well like they expect to see people in the dating phase of a relationship like one maybe two times a week and like you might take an anxious preoccupied they're like if we like each other we're gonna see each other like four nights a week five nights a week no problem and again these can be these like really strong points of contention Mm -hmm. and then um dismissive avoidance as well they'll be a little slower to respond to text messages a little shorter answers a lot of the time um you know these sorts of things that we'll see um fearful avoidance will be like very present when you're with them like really loving and really available but the moment you're not with them they can be like really dodgy with like texting or getting back to you and like that's one of the biggest things you'll see in the dating phase that can send mixed signals is like there's a very strong inconsistency with like how available and then how unavailable they can become and fearful avoidance as well can be like um they can struggle with their boundaries a lot because usually in childhood they had to like avoid all boundaries and kind of caretake and so they can have this like very nurturing um vibe to them but then they will often feel like, oh, I'm like doing everything for you. And then they get resentful. And so sometimes you'll see like these little hints of like emotional outbursts to a certain degree or frustration or, or like these sort of push pull, hot, cold type things. Um, but again, like they tend to be very warm and like loving when they're there and then sort of pulled back when they're not. And then, um, anxious preoccupied the things you'll see is that they want to text all throughout the day like all day every day stay in contact um very sensitive to like patterns shifting like if if you talked all day yesterday over text but only three or four times today like that really um disrupts like their it it triggers these like deep pattern beliefs that they have that are like i'm going to be abandoned the patterns changing a lot of that stuff comes up for them so you'll see like a little bit more clinginess neediness um reliance on closeness in the relationship like wanting a lot of connection really quickly and secure people you'll see they tend to sort of be in the middle they won't like bear their soul and share their whole life right away they'll move at like a steady pace but they will share if asked or they will you know share a little bit over time and they'll be good with their boundaries they'll express their needs they'll feel comfortable sharing about themselves and asking deep questions and listening um and you'll see that there's like a healthy amount of communication in the dating phase like you know talking every day or every other day with a quick message or something small but there's like a progression that feels like it's moving at a at a healthy pace um whereas with the other attachments also can be a little bit like up and down in different ways interesting and do you i mean I I imagine there's like some um, varying degrees of the way people fall into these different styles. But do you have thoughts on 
like if you're dating someone who is an extreme of any of these except for secure obviously like being an extreme of secure seems like pretty pretty bueno but um if you're dating someone who is kind of in a gray area like maybe showing some signs of of you know one of the non-secure types do you have thoughts on like how much work someone should have to do to teach the person they're dating or not maybe teach is the wrong word but to encourage the person they're dating to kind of change relax we don't need to text all day every day you need to text me more than once a week um and when it's a good moment to be like this person's not in a good place in their personal development and I need to let them figure that out for themselves it's a really good question like the thing I always say to people is and because we get a lot of like you know on our YouTube channel a lot of people be like this attachment style you should stay away from this person or that person and like a lot of that's just untrue what I find as a general rule is that like if both and this is like working in practice with literally like hundreds and hundreds of people. The one determining factor is are both people willing to do the work? Because if somebody like, let's say you you think of different contexts and let's pretend there's Bob who's secure and he's dating Sally, who's really anxious. If he says, look like Sally, I really am interested in you. I'm a little bit of a slow mover or I'm a little, I'd like to move a little more slowly than you do. I don't love texting all day. Let's like have a boundary. Like let's chat in the morning and say good morning. And like, let's have a phone call every other evening before bed and just touch base. And like, this is the pace that I want to move at. If, if one person's able to communicate their needs and the other person's willing to like work on themselves and do whatever they need to do in terms of questioning their stories or meeting their own needs. So they're not hyper relying on Bob or whatever it might be. Like people can move through things really effectively. Um, but it's when, when, one or both parties are willing to show up and put the work in and it becomes problematic. And so like, if you have a secure person like Bob again, and he's with a dismissive and and he's like, you know, Hey, it's important to me to at least touch base like every other day. And the person's like, Nope, I'm only going to chat on Fridays and see you Friday evenings. Then it's like, okay, well then we have to ask ourselves the question. If somebody's not willing to move with you or work with you or grow with you, then you have to ask yourself like, how happy am I right now? Like, am I okay with what's going on right now? Because we can't date somebody's potential. We can't like, oh, you know, they're going to change and all these different things. You have to communicate your needs, set your boundaries, speak up. And if you don't see things changing in a way that you feel empowers you, then you have to imagine like what I see now is what I'm going to continue to get. And does that make me happy? And if not, then maybe it's not the right relationship. Yeah. And from I, maybe the flip side, we've kind of touched on this, but like very concretely, what would you recommend if someone's sitting here feeling or they, they you know, look into things more, they understand that they're, you know, anxious or whatever attachment style they find that's not secure and maybe they want to start doing the work. It feels like a lot of the work or sorry, a lot of what defines your attachment style is about your childhood or a childhood trauma. So, you know, it feels like kind of a basic question, but what are the first steps to doing that work? Uh, because like, yes, it's the subconscious, the subconscious is so involved and that's so hard to deprogram. It's not the greatest word, but you know what I mean? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great question. So, so really like, this is what's happening. Our attachment, you like going back to that idea of like a set of rules that we subconsciously have the two biggest rules that are playing like playing a role in in terms of how we perceive the world how we interact with others are basically like the stories we have Mm -hmm. and our needs whether they were met or unmet and what's really interesting and i often tell people is like if you had some kind of childhood thing happen 
20 years ago and you're like, okay, you know, I have this like old childhood wound, you know, how has it stayed alive all this time? Like how, if you're, you know, in, if you're in your late twenties, thirties, whatever it might be, how has this thing stayed alive this whole time? Well, you actually have to actively be re-traumatizing yourself on autopilot without realizing it in order for that neural set of pathways to be alive. So for example, if we go through a traumatic event or like a painful thing and we make that mean, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm unworthy of love. If you hadn't kept telling that story and reprojecting that idea on autopilot over and over again, that set of neural pathways would atrophy over time. And that wouldn't be a prevalent part of like how you interact with your external reality. So we have to still be telling those same stories and keeping ourselves in a state of re-traumatization to a certain degree. And then if you look at it from a needs perspective, what do we always see? If you have like the perfect example, it's like a dismissive avoidant. They're really emotionally neglected in childhood. How do you think their relationship is to their own emotions? They completely, completely neglect their own emotions. They numb, they avoid, they dive into things. They, they are basically doing anything they can to not feel their feelings. Mm -hmm. And so what we can do when we're trying to heal our attachment style is like really break it down into like, what are the painful stories I have about myself? And there tends to be like about 22 major core wounds. I'll list a few so that people can sort of maybe hear some of themselves in it. But like, um, we touch on them a little bit in the styles, but like, I'm abandoned, I'm alone, I'll be disliked, excluded, rejected, not good enough, unworthy, I'm disrespected, I'm trapped, helpless, powerless, um, I'm unsafe, I'm not good enough. So all these like dynamics that we tend to have, you can sort of find like, when I'm really triggered, what's the meaning I tend to give to events? Like, what's the story I tend to tell when I'm triggered? And you'll see it usually follows like some of those core wound patterns. Um, and, and then we can reprogram those things. And I'll give like a set of steps in a second for doing that. Um, but then we have to ask ourselves too, like, and what are my biggest unmet needs from childhood or from life, from a painful relationship I was just in for years? Because the subconscious is always reprogrammed through repetition plus emotion. So you can be secure, but then go through a really tumultuous relationship for 20 years and then be like fearful avoidant coming out of it, right? So, okay, what are my biggest unmet needs and how can I change that? How can I literally repetitively start meeting those needs in my own life? in relationship to self and advocating for those needs in my relationships to others so that I put an end to that re-traumatization that's happening on autopilot. So the needs is a really important thing. And then when it comes to reprogramming the beliefs, a really simple starter tool that's really effective is something called auto-suggestion. And basically in the first hour that you're awake, in the last hour before you go to bed, your subconscious mind is like really open to suggestion. You're really suggestible, which means you can kind of like, you're in like a state of being more open to like, not hypnosis necessarily, but um, sort of like permeate, like penetrating that barrier in a way into your subconscious mind. And so, um, and it's because your brain's producing like mostly alpha and theta brainwaves, which are actually the brainwaves we need to be hypnotized. And so what you can do in this time period, which is really beneficial, is the language of your subconscious mind is emotion and imagery. So if you try to do something like an affirmation, and let's say you're working on the belief like, I am unloved or I'm undeserving of love. And you're like, no, no I want to get to feel in my life and reality that I'm lovable and I'm deserving of love. If you just say that, you're like speaking the language of your conscious mind. Like if you imagine like your conscious mind speaks English and your subconscious mind speaks Spanish. Like you're speaking in English, trying to affect like the Spanish speaking person. Like it's, it's challenging. And, and so what we have to do is we have to speak in the language of the subconscious, which as I was mentioning is emotion and imagery. So how do we do that? 
Well, we have to find pieces of evidence because all memory that we ever have is, can, is a container of emotion. So if I go, okay, I am lovable or I am deserving of love and here's how I know and here are the pieces of evidence and I think of how I have a loving relationship to my friend or a loving relationship to a partner or to a family member or I have qualities that are worthy of love and that are likable and, and people respond well to them. If I find about 10 pieces of evidence on a daily basis all of those memories are images in our mind when we think of them. You think of like the way your friend hugs you when they see you and they elicit an emotional response. And so now we use our conscious mind to speak Spanish to our subconscious. We speak in the proper language. And if every morning we literally just find evidence that opposes our original belief, just 10 pieces, and we think and we feel about it, and we rinse and repeat that for about two to three weeks, we will literally be creating really powerful new subconscious programs. And that's how we can start reprogramming our attachment style. Change your beliefs, um, start meeting your needs, and those are the first major steps to transformation. It's so interesting. The I like the analogy with the languages because I've always struggled. You know, I, in theory, I think that it's it's great that people you know have affirmations or can tell themselves they. But it never worked for me in the way that I kind of hoped it did. And I think like a more visceral like piece of evidence in an image like from my life an anecdote where I felt loved is actually for me more powerful so I really like that as an alternative to just I am worthy not to shit on affirmations entirely I just like it never worked for me in the way that it does for some other people yeah, and, and the subconscious is programmed through repetition and emotion, and emotion is way more powerful than repetition. So, like, technically, affirmations can work if you're willing to, like, do them and do them and do them and do them and do them for a very, very, very long time. But sometimes if you, like, have such a strong belief, like, let's say you're like, no, but I am not good enough, and you really believe that, sometimes you can say consciously, like, no, I am good enough, but your subconscious will elicit a feeling and because it has associations about that. And it's like, no, we're not good enough. And it can actually like move you in reverse to a certain degree. So like we have to bypass that by speaking in the language of our subconscious to begin with. I love that. That's so cool. That feels very empowering. It feels like something anyone can do if they know it and they take the time, which I think is great because I I've felt not powerful in this regard and I've been in traditional talk therapy for years and I've done a lot of work on myself and there are still regular moments where I'm like oh I can't do that I'm not smart enough or whatever it is um it's it's very cool to hear it's very empowering and I think it's uh really really applicable to dating too so many people get so down on themselves that tell themselves so many stories about you know their past relationships, their rejections. It's so it's so hard to climb out of that hole. Um, I was there too at some point. 100%. And like something that's so important for people to know as well is that like our actions don't come first. Like beliefs create thoughts. So if I believe I'm not good enough and I have thoughts like, oh, I'm not smart enough. I'm not interesting enough. I'm not funny enough. Like whatever it might be. And then thoughts produce emotions. So like how do you feel when you're thinking those things? Like you feel disempowered, sad, anxious, whatever it might be. And then um, neuroscience has proven that every single decision we make is actually based on our emotions. So even people who are like, no, I'm a logical, rational thinker. Like, no, 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 you're making emotionally based decisions at the tipping point, And then we're just quick to rationalize through logic. So, so if you're like feeling not good enough, the actual like action manifestation of that, if you extend it out, is going to be 
we probably don't take job opportunities. We probably don't try to be vulnerable to that person we think is too good for us and, and give things a shot. We like hold ourselves back from sharing too much or we're constantly overcompensating and feeling insecure and that shows to people. And so like we, whatever we don't change in our programming usually becomes our reality long-term anyways, because we're taking action based on that belief. So we're actually reinforcing it, reinforcing it without realizing. It's so fascinating. And I'm, I won't go down this rabbit hole, but I feel like this just with that, those kind of patterns, even just like larger patterns of thought in the world, like follow similar patterns of people just staying within their lanes. It's just all very fascinating. And I know we're keeping you a little over now. If you have like a minute more, could for people looking, you know, to check out your work or just do some work on attachment styles or, you know, really anything, where where would you recommend starting within personal development school or like the quiz itself for attachment styles? What should they check yeah. out first? Yeah, so we have a quiz. Um, so it's on our website, personaldevelopmentschool.com. And you can like click the drop down menu for attachment style quiz and it comes with a full report. So you get like a report, a video that explains a little bit more about your attachment style, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we have like in our actual school, we have 35 different courses um, about how to retrain your subconscious mind and how to regulate your emotions and how to reprogram your attachment style and how to communicate and set boundaries and forgive, like all these different courses that are specific to these different topics. Um, and I do four live calls in there a week with people. Um, we had two new courses a month. And um, so there's like a whole bunch of resources that are very intense over there. Um, and they all come with like 15 or 20 page workbooks. Like it's like designed to get you to really do the reprogramming work. Um, and then I also put a whole bunch of free content on YouTube. So personal development school dash Thais Gibson, I put like a pretty much daily video up there. Um, so there's a lot of resources and information as well to get started on your journey. That's great. Yes. That's so cool. We're going to link all of that below. Um, and yeah, that's, I I'm like going to go watch it. I mean, I watched a bunch of your videos before and it, there's a, a like, yeah, a ton of really, really cool resources, resources, but I feel empowered to just be reprogramming some of my uh, bullshit, nonsense, negative thoughts. So thank you so <laughs> yes. much for this. It's been so, awesome. so cool and so helpful. Thank you. And this was so much fun to be here with you guys. Oh, thank you, Thais. Thank you so much for your time. And yes, everyone, please check out her work. Um, I, I love, I could talk about this for hours. So thank you so much for sharing your expert opinion. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.